0: what centered me as well is um I did capoeira so for about 8 months of the 11 and a half months that I was there I studied capoeira and about like once a week going to the gym and that was amazing like I mean I um I was definitely not a mestre which is you know a master but uh definitely still novice and you know my nickname was macahown which is portuguese for like pasta like macaroni <laughs> Uh, Americano, like, you know, American pasta because I'm just long and lanky in that, which I loved. And I still use that as my nickname to this day um, when I'm down there. And it's, I laugh. People are like, macaho. And I was like, see, sí. especially because my name in Portuguese, it's hard to pronounce. Like, uh, E and A don't really go well. So I would rather you say macaho, which I know you can say and I say it wrong, but you say it right. And...
1: Hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Sean as the guest. Today's also exciting because it's the beginning of our temporary return to weekly episodes. (laughs) So from now until the week of Juneteenth, there will be an episode of Young, Gifted, and Abroad out every week. And then the week of Juneteenth, June 19th, for those who aren't aware. uh, That week, we'll see the um, celebratory first anniversary episode of Young Gifts Did and Abroad. Um, So lots of good things to look forward to in the coming weeks. Uh, But for now, let's focus on today. Today is about Sean. Sean was a few years ahead of me in our department in college. And he started traveling internationally at 16 Um, he spent his junior year of high school his entire junior year in Brazil um, thanks to his local rotary club and the foreign exchange program they were facilitating at the time and uh, that that time in Brazil was the beginning of a lot of things for Sean not just traveling to Brazil multiple times since then, uh, but also um, venturing to other places like South Africa, where he did an internship in Cape Town during his, well, while in college. And then also uh, being able to travel to Europe a lot for work. Um, In a recent position he had, he got to go to Europe a lot because he was working with interfaith engagement uh, with climate change. Um, And in fact, he got to spend a couple weeks in Paris um, working around a really big and important climate conference that happened a few years ago. Uh, So we talked about all of those journeys of his, but also talked about other causes that are really important to Sean, like the LGBTQ community, uh, what it's like to be black or brown traveling abroad, um, and also the importance of stories and storytelling. Um, That's a really big passion of Sean's. And in fact, uh, he started a few months ago. He started his own business, Watkins Agency of Joy. Um, it's his consulting business. So he does um, social media, PR, public speaking, that kind of work, uh, just trying to empower people to to share their own stories and also uh, to help representation be more accurate and more. Um, substantive across the board, for especially for marginalized people. So um, that's what he's up to now, trying to spread positivity and use his talents in the best way he knows how. And um, yeah, there are a lot of really good things in this episode. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation and Sean has a lot to say. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy hearing it. So Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend Sean Watkins.
0: I'm good. I'm good. I've uh, I've showered. I've I feel good. You know, yeah. Today just feels like a good day. I head out on the road on Monday, so I kind of woke up. I did packing for that. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of get ready. So, yeah, it's feeling productive.
1: Yeah, good, good. Where are you headed on Monday?
0: Uh, So, Monday, I'm going a couple places. I go, I go to California, out in California, for a workshop that I'm going to be uh, facilitating, a two-day workshop around storytelling for Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Like, they have some ambassadors out there. Oh, cool. Um, so, I'm doing that, and then I come back late Thursday, and then on Friday, I head to DC for, to speak at a um, an LGBTQ summit that I'm going to be a speaker at, so...
1: Oh, it's exciting. It is.
0: it is. It is exciting. Yeah.
1: Lots of good stuff coming up for you. That's, that's yeah. so good. Yeah.
0: That's
1: um, so, why don't we start with you introducing yourself, if you don't mind? Anything yeah. you want people to know about you right off the bat?
0: Dope. Hi, I'm Shawnee Watkins. I am a storyteller, a lover of joy. Um, a kid at heart uh, and I'm also the founder and owner of a consulting agency called Watkins Agency of Joy, uh, where I work to help get stories told, good stories on the ground of people doing good work with a lot of different movement strategists and partners around the world. Um, And on the other side, I happen to be a public speaker. And so I travel the country uh, talking to folks, sharing my story um, and kind of the fun things about that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And congratulations again on the recent launch of Watkins Agency of Joy. I think I really do love that name, Agency of Joy. It's like joy just seems like such, something that's so heartfelt, mm, you know, yeah. and maybe some people would think that's like too mushy or whatever. But it just seems like, I don't know, it adds like humanity to what you're trying to do. And I think that's really that's really unique and clever. Thank you,
0: thank you. I mean, that is, that that is. thank you, thank you. I just can't say that enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that was, you know, really the point. Um, I've, as like, I've been reflecting on my career over these last like 10 years or so, and joy has kind of been always that thing that has like stood out for me, mm-hmm. whether it was, like, helped me get through or, particularly, you know, what others really always kind of talk about myself and my peers and whatnot. And so, yeah, Agency of Joy, it came to me out of the most, and I was like California woo way, but I was, you know, living my best life, getting <laughs> an acupuncture, uh, and I was laying down on the acupuncture table and it just kind of came to me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that, thank you, yeah, again.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, So, so are you, I normally try and go in, like, chronological order when talking about people's, like, travel or study abroad experiences. And yeah. I know I mentioned Brazil in our yeah. emails. And I think also maybe a few years ago, if my memory serves me correctly, you like went to Paris for like some sort of conference or something, Yeah. Um. Yeah. but you also said that you've lived and worked in a lot of places since you were 16 or so. Yeah. So uh, where would you like to start? Since, <laughs> <laughs> since you have so many experiences, you obviously know what you've done better than I do. Where would you like to start?
0: Um, you know, we could totally start at the beginning. Yeah, the beginning is and it's at 16. And that's with Brazil. And okay. um, yeah, and it's, I'm totally happy to kind of jump around. But yeah, for the most for for not even for the most part, but the origin story definitely comes from from there. So we could definitely start there.
1: Okay. All right. Well, um, so you spent, uh, this was like a foreign exchange year. that you yeah, did? Yeah. Okay.
0: So It was funny. I was thinking about this, um, in the shower, just before we, we got to talk and I was like, I was kind of laughing to myself, but I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, study abroad. But then I was like, wow, I, thinking about how many study abroad experiences, however you want to call it. Um, I've done quite a few, but for me, it started when it was called like foreign exchange. And so, okay. Yeah, you know, my story kind of started at 16, well, really at 15, um, because that's when this man, Charles de felt. Um, a man who was like 91 years old when he had passed, and he was a Rotarian in my hometown, Amityville, who had come to our like social studies class and had asked everyone, you know, who wants to do foreign exchange? And everybody, a lot of folks, you know, we were like all excited, right? Boom, boom, yes, yes, yes. But when it came down to it, I was the only one who brought like the permission slip signed, ready to like do the kind of process. And um, it was kind of like yeah, my life just went on a whole kind of trajectory there. And I eventually, at first I was supposed to actually go to Japan. So I had like went through the whole application process, which was like a weekend long um, retreat and where they like get to know you. And uh, yeah, they placed me in Japan and then it got switched to Brazil. for whatever reason, and that was kind of history there. And then I was in Brazil for a year, 11 and a half months, but yeah, a year, um, for my whole junior year of high school. So
1: so this was uh, a Rotary program targeted yeah,
0: to Yeah, Rotary Foreign Exchange, which, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, when Mr. DeQuilfo came to our class, but they... Tra- Rotary had been doing foreign exchange around the world and even in my community since the Cold War. Well, it, at 20 years at that point, so in two, that was, what, 2005, 20 years. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the Rotary Foreign Exchange Program was really birthed kind of out of the Cold War as a way of kind of to better relations around the world, but, like, through, youth, through the youth. So... Mm-hmm. It was all this history that I had no idea, like, you know, my town, Amityville, we are, it was mostly predominantly people of color, you know, we, my friends were the ones where we joked and we were smart as hell. We also, you know, we come from, you know, systemical, uh, systemical hardships where, you know, family contribution is, you know, very little in terms of money and stuff. So it wasn't something that I thought was even possible, but they were like, yeah, no, we've done this every year, you know, you should do this. And I was like, okay. And then I eventually, I got some, went all on scholarships through a bunch of different Rotary clubs around Long Island and New York and the kind of Northeast districts.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Had you had the desire to uh, visit a different country before that time?
0: Oh yeah, the world was always. It, I I've always I've had time now, especially to really think about moments where I was thinking about the world, and I thought about it early. There was once we were in like I say we I was I'm an identical twin. Shout out to my brother. Michael. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, um,
0: yeah. And so once we had went we did we were at we were, it was a Six Flags Great Adventure trip. I don't remember why. I think maybe it was at school or something. But I remember there was a woman there from. Sweden and she was like tall. She was so like Scandinavian. I mean like she was like six foot something because we were on like a children's ride and they were like she couldn't fit because she was tall. I remember that Mm -hmm. but I also remember it was the first time I learned about a visa because she was talking about this visa but at then and I was young maybe seven or eight but I just I was like not a card. She was like no like a visa you know you two like I can't I need one to be in this country all etc. So things like that piqued me and also you know my nana my mom's mother she was an international dancer. And so I had grown up listening to stories from her um, of traveling the world, going to like Columbia and going to Australia as a black dancer in, you know, the thirties, no, really more like the forties and fifties, but you know, that era. Um, So yeah, the the inkling kind of started really early.
1: Okay. Yeah, so the seed was planted in your mind early and then you got to, uh, you know, have this experience in high school When it got switched to Brazil, was, did you have any sort of feelings about that? Like, had you had your heart set on Japan or was it just like, wherever you got to go, you would, you would have been happy with it?
0: Great question. Great question. Um, I, I, I did have some, it's funny to talk about it now, how Brazil is totally part of my life, but yeah, (laughs) there was a bit of like hesitation. So before the Japan thing happened, if you got chosen to like be, to be an applicant, we had to choose five countries of a list that we wanted to go to. And my first choice, my first five, Brazil wasn't on that list. It was like Japan, um, the British Isles, which I didn't know then, but it's just like, you know, UK. <laughs> uh, um, like France, like mostly Europe and like eight, like in Japan. I don't remember really why Japan, but yeah, in Canada. I was like, I want to go to Canada, which brought up kind of my own young American, very American, um, kind of thinkings of like, Oh, well, like it's not safe. Like, Oh my gosh. You know, uh, my mom was like, you know, you can't go to South Africa, like nowhere in Africa at that point. She was like, no. Um, and so, yeah, when I had chose Brazil, I put it on there, but I didn't really think too much of it. So when I got it, I was like, well, crap, I don't really know too much about Brazil other than like, I know they have carnival, um, which I call just carnival then. And, uh, it was like in South America, but yeah, I didn't really know too much about it. And I just tried to then have an open heart. Cause then by the time I, once I found out I was going to Brazil, everybody else like was projecting all of what they knew about Brazil or what they thought they knew about Brazil onto me. So I had to kind of be like, all right, I'm not gonna have any expectations and mm-hmm. just kind of like go and gratefully. Yeah, that it, it worked for me.
1: What kind of things were people projecting on you about what they knew about Brazil?
0: Uh, I could tell you the one, the most, the most memorable one, and it's a good thing, I have a good head on my shoulders that I'm <laughs> like very, but you know, I had a health teacher in, in my high school, Mr. Foreman, his name was, and this was 10th grade, right? So the year before I was going, and you know, he was, let me paint the picture. Like I said, this is a high school okay. of black and brown folks, right? And this health teacher, Mr. Foreman, He was a white man, older white man who had been working in the school district for like 20 some years. He's one of those that like, he came in, did his job, left. But like, you know, who knows how he really felt about some of the students that he was with. So Uh I was able to say that when he found out I was going to Brazil, he literally so embarrassing, especially because I was... Not I was not out as gay, but I was very much like had no interest in women. Mm-hmm. And it was like, when you get down to Brazil, this this sex lesson, Sean, this is for you. You better pay attention. You better listen. Like, you know, they have everything down there. And it was just like so ignorant and so, yeah. so again, now I look back on it and it's like, I can put so many isms on what that is, but you know, it was like things like that, projections like that, projections of crime and, and a lot of things like that.
1: Wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Girl. So you went. Mm-hmm. yeah how was it structured like were you um this was like an entire year of high yeah. school so were you still going to school were you staying yeah. with a host family or something like that how was it organized
0: yeah so i had um it was a year program and i got there in august no i was supposed to go in august i went in september early september right no end of august end of august whatever mm-hmm. and then um but you know the thing is is that of south america so the southern hemisphere so when i got there it was you know, winter. It was like winter break. So, and the school where I was at, it was a Catholic school. And I was the first exchange student, me and this girl from Thailand, we were the first exchange students that they were accepting in years because they had kind of stopped having exchange students because they had, I guess the ones they got a bad rep, they weren't coming to school, they were skipping all these things. Mm. So with that said, they were very hesitant to put me in the grade that I was supposed to be in with my age group. So I actually got put a year, like a half a year behind. I say half a year because by January, then I went to the next year up. But yeah, it was like it, it was school. But I had four host families, uh, one of which was terrible, and I do not speak to. you know, we I had a lot of great. Ex- I was able to do a lot with them, but uh, it really not great for as a young gay black man. Have you know mm-hmm. some journeys that I've had to accept with that, but. Um, yeah, I had four host families, and so which was great. And Rotary structures that they try to do that as much as possible to have three or four host families, so that um, we as exchange students get to have multiple like viewings into the culture. Right. Which I'm glad for, because girl, if I only had one family, or you know, who knows? So having four really like diversified how I was able to see Brazil, see parts of the culture, see parts of the country, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I went to school, but. Like I said, I was like a year behind, so I didn't really do anything in school. And it was, it was a cute thing. I, d- I did things, like, but I read, I read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot.
1: Okay. And I'm, I forgot to ask, where in Brazil were you?
0: Yeah, so the city is called Maringá. Uh, it's in the state of Paraná, which is the state south of Sao Paulo. It's about eight hours southwest of Sao Paulo, the okay. city of Sao Paulo. Gotcha. Yeah. It's in the southern region of the country where... So the Southern region starting really in Sao Paulo and going low is much more, excuse me, European centric, um, much more Euro um German, Italian, um, German and Italian is really, really strong. And then actually in my city, Maringa, it has the most amount of Japanese um, immigrants outside of Japan. So they descended there after World War II because there was really rich fertile land for rice cultivation. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say that three out of my four host families all had some type of Japanese influence in them. My first one was totally Japanese. Um, and then the second and third, I would have like a Japanese mother or a Japanese father. Um, and yeah, so it was very interesting. I saw no, no black folk really. Only black folk that I saw down there are like brown folk. I thought during that first trip. Now I've I've been to Brazil three times since. Two of which were on like another study abroad. But on those trips, I was able to see more of the country. And um, yeah, that's when I was like, oh wait, there's like all these black people and brown people here. Who knew? I had yeah, I knew I knew none of that. My whole the whole first year I lived there. So.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned, especially the whole like the Japanese descendant thing. Cause I had, I knew about that, but I didn't know much about how they got there. And I recently read this book that was about like Chinese Jamaicans. Oh, ooh, yeah. How, yeah. How how Chinese people ended up going to Jamaica around the same time for mm-hmm. similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I know, like, in Trinidad with, like, the Indian population is very similar. It's just interesting how all these different, like, Asian populations ended up in these Caribbean and, and Latin countries and, you know, how they're still, they make what Brazilians are, you know. It's not just your Eurocentric or Euro- European descendants. It's, you know, all these different types of people, you know. It's true. Um,
0: and as I've, you know, my, as I've, my life has gone on and I've journeyed more, it's been amazing because for very much, like, who I am and what I stand for is very much about kind of showing new narratives and representations of what it means to be gay, black, and with really within the the African diaspora and that black diaspora Um, and people of color diaspora. And so, yeah, it's so interesting for me, I've had this like a beautiful experiences of living in like multiple countries where they just happen to be like a huge, there's so many similarities into kind of racial identities and racial politics um in a very like state sanctioned way that yeah that for me as like a nerd i've like i have all this life experience to kind of back up what i'm either learning or in what i maybe don't agree with or what i'm learning and like okay how can i add to this
1: yeah yeah was it like uh when you went because you said when you were that you were kind of in a more um Uh, you were in a part of the country where it was more like European people or people descended from Europeans and you went again at a later time and realized that there were, you know, there were all these Black people there. Did you feel like you were, you kind of had a real, a different view of the country at that point? Like, how was that like a revelation to you when you realized that there were so many Black people in Brazil?
0: it was it was you know the, the the first time i even knew that there were kind of other people of color was the, during the first trip we had went to sao paulo for new year's and because that's like such a huge city i saw more and i was like what but that was it and then, yeah, in college, I was um, I did I studied comparative cultures and politics, mm-hmm. um, and so I like actually by the time I went back to Brazil, which was five years later. The first time I went was in two thousand six. Mm-hmm. I didn't go back until two thousand and twelve. Um, and so then I had like already done studyings about like comparative race and race analysis. So I had a, a, like a preview um, to knowing, but it was then just a whole other thing to then go. Back. And then the first city I went back to was Salvador, which is the blackest city in Brazil where 80% of the population is Afro, like Brazilian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where I like now all of a sudden like completely fit in, like v- visually, which was a big thing, the only place I had experienced that before was living in South Africa. So I was like, that part always feels nice traveling um, as a black man. And then, but because I also knew the language and I still do, mm-hmm. and I was with like a bunch of other Americans. I was just like, oh, just sunglasses on like, Oi, <laughs> uh, like, hey, how are you? So that was nice. And then when I went back to my city though, that's when I was like, oh, like for so. then it was like, now I'm like 22, now I'm realizing, oh half of y'all are really ooh, y'all are really racist because it's actually i can like joke about it but it's like it's not cute it's very disrespectful like how um how many stairs like expect. like i always know getting on that plane from sao paulo to maringa it's like okay, girls, I'm back. You know what y'all? You know I'm just gonna be me. But you know, because of it's such based on class, so you know I people aren't expecting it, and it is very much a thing. But um, I'm really grateful because my fourth family, my family that really means so much to me today. Um, they, my mom in particular, she has been like fighting for for rights and for the rights of others in my very small little city. So. As much as like the the kind of city when I can go out there nowadays, I'm like oh I can't go back for long because it's a very small town. Like I'll be trying it like like mm-hmm. you no because I can go off on you in Portuguese and in English and it's not going to be cute. <laughs> um, and so and then it's like you know, but when I'm with my host mom, my host sisters, my family, it's it's it is it is a safe space. It's secure. It is you know it's not only just like a perception, but it's actively affirming me for who I am as a black man, as a gay black man. And like, and kind of like letting me know that like the society that you're experiencing and even when you weren't experiencing it, when you didn't realize it, we were, and you know, that like, we ain't gonna have that. So that's always been a really nice kind of clutch to have down there. Cause it's it's small town, small city I should say, not town, but small city vibes. Mm
1: -hmm. And um, as you mentioned, I think it's a really, a really, it was a really good idea to have you all um, go between host families. So yeah. you got like different, a different perspective with each one. Um, since you had that experience and you had these four different families
0: yeah. and you
1: mentioned one of them was it was not good for you at all. And another one was actually like your favorite or you felt really like supported there. What to you made a, a homestay experience more successful or more enjoyable than another? Like what what uh, were the the positive points for you uh, regarding your different homestay experiences?
0: That's such a great question. I would say two things really kind of come to mind. The first one is like just genuine, genuinely being able to see me as me, like mm-hmm. being able to just that, um, which was difficult Especially from when I think about my first family, who they were great people, but I know that it was a shock for them to be expecting an American to be coming to be living with them. But this American is black. Like that's an ex- that's something that I had to deal with quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, now I've been traveling for like twelve years, so I'm so used to it. But there, at sixteen, it was um it was funny because like I said, you know, that family was Japanese, so like the grandmother. Um, would even when she first met me she was just like we were like starkly different in height and she was just kind of like looking up at me like huh like (laughs) wow um so you know just being able to see me as me not necessarily like see me as like this other who they weren't (laughs) expecting and then the second bit i would really say is being able to as a family right because you're bringing in a stranger into your home and then when you're doing that you do welcome a stranger into your family drama cuz we all got it right, right, right. Um, but i think particularly with after living with four families it's being able to separate your family drama from the stranger who is still in your house and kind of be not like literally not throw your drama out on them <laughs> like on the, yeah. on the on the on the exchange student so you know and i'm trying not to go deep into the whole story but you know with the, the family that didn't work out so deeply well One of the main reasons why was because there was so much baggage, so much, so many hidden skeletons that they were trying to hide Mm -hmm. um, with someone like me who has always lived my uh, life completely out loud. So it it was very, it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard.
1: Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. You know, both of those things are really important to, to keep in mind, especially when you're like like you said, in, in inviting a, a stranger or welcoming a stranger into your home, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you were going, I know you said you didn't really do much in school, but like when you were, so you were in class, obviously, yeah. at that time. Uh, what, what other things did you do like outside of class? What did you do for, for leisure, for fun? I know you mentioned visiting Sao Paulo, but like you know, what other things did you do with your time besides going to class and like, yeah. interacting with your host family?
0: So class was short, too, because Shout Out South America class was, you know, it was like, you know, 7.30, 8 a.m. to noon. Like, that was it. And you, you, you out for it. Like, you out, go home for lunch. Everybody has to have lunch. You always have lunch at home. It is still probably to this day my favorite entire meal that I will just I can't get here in America. But lunch. I'm also I missed it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, go home from lunch, from school for lunch. And then. So and I, I hung out, my life was really much like, I hung out with a lot of exchange students, which so these days of whatever, I could like have some regrets over it or whatnot, but I was, my life kind of did center around a lot of the other exchange students in my city. Mm-hmm. And I had, ours was the bigger city in the district, um, which is kind of funny to say, but it was. And so, you know, we, I had like, my closest friend was from Germany. Uh, another close friend was from Austria and like, South Africa, I had a really good friend, Kat, like during those that first half of there, who she was a black girl. So we kind of bonded as like, oh, we two black folk over here. Um, <laughs> so I would hang out, hang out with a lot of exchange students. And because um, I just, I started drinking early, basically. It's just, we, bar culture is so, it's just a whole different thing down there. And it's, you, it is more common. Um, the drinking age is 18, but as long as you kind of, like in my city, it's a small city too, so no one was really kind of carding or mm-hmm. anything I did. Like I said, we were exchange students, so then we would just kind of like play the, oh, you know, follow Portuguese card. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, so I was kind of, you know, like I I, I had fun, and then I, what really gave, what centered me as well is, um I did capoeira, so for about eight months of the 11 and a half months that I was there, I. Studied capoeira and about like once a week going to the gym and that was amazing like yeah. um, such an amazing experience.
1: You must have been so strong
0: if you were doing yeah. capoeira. Um, Woo! My body was yeah no 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 no, no my body now so it's I've you know nowadays I'm like oh wow shout out to that but no with capoeira yeah that just worked my whole body like my whole you know practices would be you know just doing splits um, and doing splits for like, you know, a hundred seconds, like staying in splits, having like my instructor come down and like put pressure onto you while you're in the splits. I mean, I loved it. I loved every single second of it. Even the times where like my feet were blistering and like, you know, coming off, it was amazing. And I went, I got to do, studied again um, when I lived in South Africa which we could talk about if we want, but I lived in South Africa for a bit and there I got to do some Capoeira again. That time though, I was studying with a guy from Angola, so who's still spoke Portuguese. There's that whole Afro diasporic thing there, but with just a different kind of um, accent, but it was still great in a different kind of form than the Brazilian uh, Capoeira that I had learned in, in high school.
1: Yeah. I didn't really learn much about Brazil until college and Capoeira was like one of those things where you know, how it's like, it's like martial arts, but it's also dance and, mm-hmm. you know, it has all these really amazing roots and everything. And, and I would watch videos and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I can do that.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> whole body, you know, you're using your whole body. hmm
0: I mean, I um, I was definitely not a mestre, which is, you know, a master, but uh, definitely still novice. And, you know, my nickname was Macajon, which is Portuguese for like, Pasta, like macaroni. <laughs> uh, Macajal Americano, like, you know, American pasta, because I'm just long and lanky in that, which mm-hmm. I loved, and I still use that as my nickname to this day um, mm-hmm. when I'm down there, and it's, I laugh. People are like, Macajal, and I was like, see? Especially because my name in Portuguese, it's hard to pronounce. Like, uh, E and A don't really go well, so most of members, if they don't know me, they're like, and I'm on, and I don't like when you pronounce my name wrong, so I'd rather you just have... I would rather you say home, which I know you can say, and I say it wrong, but you say it right, and that. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it was amazing. Just the how much, yeah, like the flips and the the cool things I was able to do. The pants they were cute. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay, so that was your first time in Brazil. Yeah, in high school, uh, you came back. I'm assuming that Sto- spoke. Oh, gonna stoke the desire in you to want to like keep yeah. traveling, keep visiting new places.
0: Totally.
1: Uh, and then you went to MSU, and you you went to Brazil and South Africa during that time. Yeah, so,
0: so yeah, I came back from Brazil. My life was totally changed. I couldn't stop talking about Brazil, 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 Brazil. Uh, my first entry into like loving story, but just not refining it yet. Um, and yeah, and then I went to Michigan State for college. But before I even went, I And I think, yeah, it pushed me to accept. They had, I won a foreign exchange, a study abroad. Yeah, because now I went from foreign exchange to study abroad. I won a study abroad scholarship before I even like accepted my offer to come there. And it was like a $5,000 scholarship. And I was like, what? Because I had already wanted to go back. I I was like looking at going to colleges in Europe. But like my mom was like, I just got you back. I don't want you to go that far. So I was like, all right, I'll go like, somewhere else but when so then they were like you can like study abroad and we'll pay you like we'll give you money to do it I was like all right cool <laughs> so I accepted the offer knowing that at some point and Michigan State I was gonna go and then yeah my junior year of college I went to South Africa for the fall semester um, for the program it was internships in South Africa which just came at a perfect time in my life because sophomore year, I was like disenrolled from MSU like two or three times because of money, out of state student, all these things. And like, I was living on campus and I had to like, I got kicked off campus because of all these things. And so that scholarship came where I was like, I can't pay for school, but I can actually keep, I I know I could do another semester because I got this money that will pay for me to go to South Africa. Um, which I had already knew because I love the world. I was like, I know that the exchange rate is one to 10 Rand over there. So I can make it. (laughs) So there was kind of all that, but yeah, I was lucky. So then 2010, I went to South Africa in Cape Town and I had what an incredible lifetime experience because I was interning for the first um, organization, men's public health organization to devote solely to men who have sex with men um on the african continent, the first in the african continent and so it was such an amazing experience i was a research and like kind of community outreach intern um and i'm like working you know 35 hours a week um basically like a whole day and the profit was well, i'm living in south africa so it was an amazing so yeah i was 20 and i was my first like my career started there. Um, So it was like a study abroad, but I wasn't in school, I was working. So for me, it was like hitting like so many, "Mm, I want to be, I recently was like, you know, I with a stone, okay, I hear you, Peter, whatever. But
1: I was hitting a lot
0: of things with one arrow, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And pardon me if this is like too uh, personal, but were you out by that time?
0: Yeah, I'm, please, I'm personal. Um, yeah, I was totally out by then. I came out um, as gay my freshman year of college. Okay. Um, and then by sophomore year, I was an active uh, queer student leader. So I was, like, on the e-boards of, like, several different... Um, Eboards. I had re. I had brought back an org like a one of the student groups on campus at Michigan State that was like kind of dormant for a while. So I was like actively ready to be like gay for pay. Like I was like, that's what we kind of joked about it in the student leadership circles. But yeah, I was out. So it was just me like this gay, kid. I'll never forget it. the first day I got there, that my boss who ah oh, rest in peace i recently saw that he had passed away a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um Swartz. Swartz, he had um he had brought me to his office and he was like you know so we were like after kind of the work stuff he was like all right and now i'll take a lot of condoms you know like i know you like it was just a very like queer safe sex positive like great environment and atmosphere mm-hmm. that um really became a home for me because I, I lived there for three and a half months
1: Do you feel like that was the case in the society at large or do you feel like it was just as conservative as it can be here? Like, did you feel like you were more accepted as you were in South Africa versus like being like back here in the States?
0: Oh, another just fabulous. Great question. Um, (laughs) I, I, I would say it was kind of like it's it's uncomparable to be t- completely honest the number one thing reason because at the end of the day south africa is a country in africa on the african continent that black folk thrive in like it is our country yeah. as much as history has deemed it to try to be otherwise so there was always much more of a sense of belonging in the sense of greater society that i felt there um i would say but what i could tell from society is that yeah it definitely said it's it is it's points but there's so many things to be learned because at that point South Africa had already could you get married I think if you could no I think you could get married by then if not it was like coming close but I know you could like adopt but we there was more rights actually that queer folk had in South Africa at the time than the U.S. when I was there but you know, it was just a thing of society and socially, and so you know, there. Um, I'll never, the first day I started work, we actually had um, they did um, like a, a presentation for some folks that were coming in from the townships, and it was kind of around the stigma of homosexuality in South Africa. It was, and I was like, "Girl, this is like a great, the best one one for me to start my work because um, they just it was like cultural tidbits that I had learned about." um why it the perceivedness of homosexuality is still very much demonized in a in a traditional sense a traditional african sense very much you know gender you know it has a lot much more to do with gender you know even though we're very much like you know misogynistic country and society there's a little bit more traditional values over there that makes gender roles even worse so what i actually found one of the most shocking and now, very unsurprising, but the crimes that happened towards homosexuality in South Africa at that time was much more towards lesbian women, particularly women who I, who portray more masculine than it is for men. So you know, it was just that that, like I said, you can't I can't really compare it because it's just so starkly different in terms of how the society is set up. But um, there are it's there are it's like learning bits that I've been able to take from from living there. Yeah. And it was great, too, because, I mean, I was, like, you know, I was working right in the, the the gay neighborhood of Cape Town, like, which, you know, arguably is, as any most gay, quote, unquote, gay neighborhoods in any city is, like, predominantly white folk because of structure, society, and class. So that's neither here nor there. I was still in the neighborhood. So every day, you know, it was cute to, like, you know, just, like, walk in and, like, you know, just be just gay as hell. Like, it just be as queer and gay as I wanted to and like to work and have a job and to like see it being represented around me that I could like live and thrive and have a career, um, like helping people, like making change, working a nonprofit, working as a queer out person, um, well, and like still too, cause one of the most important things I learned while working over there was I, I my career started out as like much of like my education with Brazil outside of the country so I was I saw that like you could work hard and also very be very like specific about taking your break time because those are important and it's important to have like holidays um, right. yeah it was like it was a great great juxtaposition
1: yeah and you said you were there for three and a half months so was this during a summer
0: it was fall semester in the North America um, okay. and so it was spring early summer down there and uh, uh, Yeah, and it was right after the World Cup. Like, this was like literally the World Cup ended in August, and I was there, like, I flew down like two weeks later, and I was bummed. Like, oh, I miss the World Cup, but they actually had this like cool exhibition game against the US and uh, South Africa. It was like a football match, a soccer game, but they like shut down the city the way they did for the World Cup. So it was like amazing. So that was like really cool and special. So just because like soccer has always been my sport. Like, if I ever had to choose a sport, like playing one, it was always soccer. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, three and a half months. And then I was in Cape Town for that three months, I would say like three months. And then the last week and a half, two weeks, I traveled. I went up to Johannesburg um, because, like I said, since I lived in Brazil, I had all these exchange student friends from around the world. Some who I really became close with were from South Africa. So um, I just hit up the homies and kind of stayed with them and their families for a couple of weeks
1: community out outreach for the nonprofit that you were working at yeah what, what types of things were you doing as part of
0: yeah so um, that my day-to-day my day-to-day was more of the research so I was working on this amazing project called the men who have sex with men ecosystem project that was being done by um, a British man a queer a queer person of color from the UK, Andy, he was from Oxford, yeah. He was from Oxford and he was work- doing this, this study mm-hmm. that was, yeah, it was like getting to know what the ecosystem was like in different parts, different townships around South Africa in Cape Town. Um, so they would have volunteers, um, volunteers in the different like outreach people come in and basically about three days of the week, bus in all these different guys from the townships into the city to take this, like pretty long and extensive study, like a yeah. like, uh, research survey. And so I was responsible with every day inputting all of the data. Like it was like a big booklet. So inputting that data every single day. And then also two one of the, my important tasks that I was charged with doing like the second day was actually calling because they actually in our office, we worked in the, uh, I was in the office part. There was a the public health center across town, but we were in the office. But on certain days of the office, we did do HIV testing. And so I was tasked to, like, call folks and give them their res- their results of their HIV status, which okay. was, yeah, that was, I- I'm so grateful to have had that experience. So grateful, so grateful to this entire day. Um, I did that. And then the outreach part looked more of, we did trips, like, Going out to once we went out like further out into the city, like outside of the city, but just working with different township folks there. Um, that when it wasn't deep in the township, it was great because I, I mean, I couldn't really engage because there was speaking mostly pasta. Um, but it was like amazing to be with and just to kind of be around. But we would do like university trips, like to the university, or like workshops for um businesses around like public health and safe sex, things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And and what, uh, to your knowledge, was the age range of, of men who were coming to this nonprofit to, um, people who were benefiting from this nonprofit services, what was like the typical age range? Oh,
0: 1865 plus. It was totally, completely, completely, completely intergenerational. Okay. intergenerational um, inclusive of, of, you know, of gender. So while it was for men who have sex with men, it was, you know, trans women were, you know, were service there as well, um, on various different parts of the spectrum. And yeah, that was great.
1: Okay. Cool. Cool. Was this also your first time in Africa period? Uh,
0: Yeah, that was, it was, it was.
1: Did you have any, um, like expectations or just an idea of how it was going to be before you arrived?
0: So I, again, because I had those friends from South Africa in Brazil, I, my perception was very, like, oh, it's going to be lit. Like, I know all these cool, like, I know my people over there, like, it's going to be lit, UCT, like, what up? So I was just like, I want to have fun. But it was so interesting because when I got on the flight from JFK to Johannesburg, it was then where I realized, oh, shoot, I have all these actual, like, um, I, it wasn't even misconceptions, it was just reality. What I, my subconscious knew, which is like, oh, this is a country where just less than 20 years ago, um, like apartheid was, you know, still going on strong. Yeah. So it, it was, came full circle for me because the man sitting next to me was an older man. Like he was a, a senior citizen, like definitely at least like 65 older and a white man, like very, I can tell from his accent, Afrikaans. Like I had already knew then the difference between Afrikaans and like white Afrikaans, colored Afrikaans. I black, I knew colored, I knew, I actually knew a lot about the society to know that like, oh, I realized that I had some like, what is it? I uh, Not even misconceptions, but I just was like, the way that I would tense up around like what police officers, I found myself kind of tensing up around this like elderly white man. Because I was like, shit, he's lived through apartheid. Does that mean he don't like, like me? Like it was, so that was very much like that. I had a very, it was um, just kind of a thing that I experienced. But then when I tell you, I got off that plane in Johannesburg before I had to transfer. And I just saw all those black people, every single in every single capacity from a flight attendant to this like pilot to the, oh God, I was like, okay, okay. I'm here, I'm fine, I'm here. it's great.
1: <laughs> As you mentioned previously, like South Africa is, black people's country like it's an African country Mm -hmm. even though I think it's kind of been branded over time to be like safer because there's so many white people there or it's different Mm -hmm. or it's more interesting Mm -hmm. or more cultured because it has more white people there um so I'm glad you were able to go and be like oh no there's like (laughs) people who look like me everywhere like
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no it was great I'll never even when we would like do the cuz the the program that we had that we were with I say we cuz like I was part of like there was a whole block of other people around the world who were doing internships as well none had the same internship as me but they were we lived in the same building mm-hmm. and so they kind of like you know gave us advice or whatever what to do what not to do and one thing they told us not to ever do was take the minibus taxis which if you've been in south africa really any probably country in africa or just like the global south uh there it's such a like prominent mode of transportation. And so we would take them, but it was always funny for me because when we did, it was the most like, you know, we were just amongst the people. And that's when like the white people I was, they would just like stand out. So we could just walk, we would be walking through and they would just get like hammered with like, oh, buy this, buy this, buy this. And I could just like, Stroll on by, <laughs> still being a tourist, so like not necessarily knowing where I was going either, but uh, blending in and not having to deal with like just yeah, like the stares that it, it. Or when they would get stared, I would laugh low key because I'd be like, "Well, girl, if you knew how many times I've been stared at for being black right. in, in this world, girl, you could deal with it.
1: <laughs> You'll be alright. <laughs> you
0: will." You will. <laughs> Just keep your bag to the front, girl. Because <laughs> I, I ain't saying, but I ain't saying. Look, because I also, I also go be bad if, my, if I have my brothers and sisters for you know, recognizing <laughs> an easy sight, girl. Okay, the struggle is real worldwide, worldwide.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously spent uh, most of that time in Cape Town. You, yeah. You got, toward the end, you got to spend some time in Johannesburg visiting friends and whatnot. Yeah. Um, is there any kind of like comparison that comes to mind like from that one city left on you versus the other I mean,
0: overall it's so real i mean you were even saying i didn't want to interrupt you but like K- k-town is known as this it's literally i think what the nickname one of its is like the cosmopolitan city mm. and when you think about this just i'm such a comparative cultures and politics that's my degree but when you think about what is a cosmopolitan city and what Usually is makes that of define defining chara- characteristics. It's things like having an opera, which Cape Town has a really nice opera, like think theater that I happen to know too, cause I had this random time to go see Mamma Mia there. And it was cute, but it was like, you know, and it was like, it's white. It has the whole, the whole sea point is like rich white. Like it's, that's where millionaires, billionaires go to spend their resorts, their summer holiday. And it's beautiful. So, but then there's Johannesburg, which is much more like by the time my time in Cape town, I was getting kind of tired of Cape town because I was just tired of, of that fakeness because it can kind of be a little fake, especially from, like, the people who you're with, um, white people in particular, whether they're international or um, South African. Um, so I was kind of, I was over it. And I, a lot of the Black folk who I were friends with anyway were from Johannesburg, but they were, like, in Cape Town for school because it's mm-hmm. a great school. So I was already kind of, like, recognizing that, like, all right, Joe Berg is much more the city. It's more... Where there's the hood, like for real, for real. And um, it was more people too. So, you know, I'm from New York, so I always eventually start craving to be around millions and millions of people. <laughs> and Transburg, I knew was like, gonna give me that. Um, but, and, you know, Joeberg was amazing. The one thing that Cape Town will always have, in my opinion, over Joburg is the proximity to the water. Like, Joburg is just it's in the middle of the heat. Like, it's just hot. Like, Joburg is hot. Um, especially during the summertime, and there's no water around it, it's just mining and you know, a lot of history, a lot of history, which is beautiful, rich history, girl. You know, it's just hot, it's not hot with the nice, beautiful water because I love the water. So, anyway, but um, but also, Joburg was just it felt richer, like it was um, richer in the culture of black folk, and and in fact, it was like South Cape Town. the the predominant culture down there, um, you know, there's seven national languages of South Africa um, and like seven major tribes or whatever. Well, not tribes you consider like white, but in South Africa, there's more mm-hmm. um, in Joburg, it's more Zulu. And so, I mean, I don't know that I can't see either, but obviously I learned enough to just recognize some like cultural differences and like hearing just the way like Joburg, people talk about the like, Cape Town or like the East, the Bush. And uh, yeah, and I got to do, I got to go to a wedding in Sowetu. A friend of mine's cousin was getting married. So I had that whole very, very rich, rich cultural experience um, of like seeing some black folk get married in celebration in Sowetu. Yeah such rich historic place where like you know yeah Nelson Mandela was like uh, you know yeah Nelson Mandela was a huge inspiration on my life so to like go to his house and that that Joburg was very much uh, I felt even deep, more deeply connected to uh, like those black roots that we have to sometimes struggle to find over here in the US.
1: Yeah yeah that's so nice. I'm sorry did you just do like the click? I forgot what that the If I did, you know, shout out. Thank,
0: yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I neither of us speak Gossa like you know fluently, so I don't know. Maybe I did, maybe no. didn't, but I did learn it. I had what else? Is, I had a, a I had a Gossa cheat sheet in my in my cubicle at work because a lot of the you know folks in township did speak sometimes only Gossa or just you know the languages girl it was so hard it was it was just different and I speak a lot of languages but i i it, I struggled and I was so embarrassed because the only phrase that I could actually, Remember, was like, oh god, it was called the police, which is just like, I thought like white Americans out here, I, I want to know something else, but for reason, that was the only phrase, and I still remember, but I, that I could remember, um, yeah. So, I, I, and I learned that there's a front click, a back click, and uh, yeah, it's all about the difference in how you actually click.
1: Okay. Okay, gotcha. No, I was listening to you and I was like, oh, like he, he did the, the click thing. Like, he, oh. I was I was like, that's so impressive that he learned oh, right. how to do
0: that. <laughs> thanks, thanks, I try to immerse myself into the culture where I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so that was South Africa and then you went to Brazil uh, after that while you mm-hmm. were student, an MSU student. Yep. so um, then,
0: well, then I actually, I graduated. Oh, I graduated okay. in 2012 and then I won, It's so interesting how like study abroad in many ways has saved my life and so many whatever, because I had some, again, some money issues where I graduated, but they weren't like, there was some degrees, whatever, whatever. And I found out about this um, grant that was like being built for the first time for four American students and eight Brazilian students to do this like globalization project where we would live in Salvador uh, in Bahia for a month, and then live in the Amazon in the city called Belém for a month, uh, and then the we would all come back, and then the Brazilians would come back to the U.S. and do a semester in the U.S. So okay. it was to be this, like kind of like total, and it was like sponsored by like the American government, Brazilian governments, all. Of it. it was like a really on paper in theory, a really amazing project. Um, Unfortunately, there were just like realities that were out of control that when we got there, like there was a strike going on for all Brazilian universities. So for the two months that I went back there, in the Salvador we were able to do some studying, but it was really hard up in the Amazon for rightful reasons. You know, I was, I was a lover. By then my senior thesis was on like protests. Like I studied social protests and the way television televised it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I only study, but like, let's learn about this, 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 uh, the strike, why are they have, why are they doing it? What's going on? Um, and yeah, that was cool for two months. And that was 2012.
1: Okay. So you had, like, graduated already, but you still went in, like, a student capacity?
0: Student, Yeah, which was, yeah. So I was, like, it was weird because everyone else was, like, very much still a student. And I had this, like, I was half in, half out. Like, I was, like, already, I was, like, looking at jobs and looking at kind of, like, thinking about where I wanted to go. I'd already walked the stage, everything. Um, but I... For Brazil, being in Brazil, that part was easier because it was just like I was in Brazil. But then I had to come back and do a whole. I literally had to do one whole fall semester just because the grant required me to do the whole thing together with the Brazilians and the Americans. So, okay. which I understand it. It was. It was. But look, I. It was free money, and they sent me to Brazil. So right. no, I ain't going front. But it, I did have this kind of half in, half out mentality. Um, also, too, because for the first month, I was just, I I could tell you a whole lot of stories about traveling. Oh girl, there's a whole thing for everyone listening. Don't be that dumb, ignorant American uh, or just Westerner abroad. Like, and when I mean that, I mean, even if you're going to a McDonald's, learn how to order in the language that you're gonna be in or do something. Like don't just expect people to learn how expect people to speak English to you or expect you to just give you your own way because you're white and you you have American dollars. Like put in some work, girl. Put in some work. Um I said that all to say that yeah <laughs> I was traveling with some not so bright individuals, I would say. And it was just very rude and ignorant and um and microaggressive and like racist, like low key racist, but like, oh, how am I racist? Just cause I have like this, this mentality about you that is unspoken, but is clearly jading my vision of you
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> anyway. So just don't be that girls and boys and gender performing <laughs> folks. Don't <Yeah>. be that. <laughs> Sorry, that, I don't know how I got into that, but- No, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, but that Honestly, that is such, that is a huge, That is and probably will still be for a very long part. It is a huge part of what it means to travel and to do study abroad, particularly as a person of color. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've loved about my journey in my life is that I have been able to see a world where I felt like I was the only black person traveling to now where I like it is. There are so many groups, so many platforms like this in particular where, you know, folks and people of color are advocating and talking about our stories of being abroad. But Mm -hmm. when I first went in 2006, when like George Bush was still president, Mm -hmm. um, it was not like that. And so, and I've, you know, I'm one blimp in a very long history of life, you know, James Baldwin, Langston Hughes, so many other American like, greats have traveled the world as Black and Brown folk I um, mean, can attest to this. But it's like, you know, it's not always easy. It's not easy anywhere in the world being Black or Brown. Um, and so I've had to very much, every trip that I've done, I've, like, been able to see how I have grown so that I, while whatever microaggression may happen and still does happen, um, I can, I'm better at responding to it. And, or I'm... I don't allow it to take me over where I'm like out acting out of character or coming out of a place of like hurt and anger, because unfortunately I have done that several times Mm -hmm. around the world as a result of traveling, like, as like being the one, the token or whatever. So yeah, it's a really, as much as that was like a random part, it's like really crucial to being uh, yeah young, gifted and black abroad. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah yeah you've had to gain a lot of wisdom along the way
0: <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. that thank you thank you thank you <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah um just so I'm, I'm understanding a little bit more about the the program like the second time you went to brazil so you this was like a like you said a globalization project mm-hmm. with, and so there were a bunch of american students mm-hmm. from like universities in the states no so, no actually so
0: the way that it, and this is this is a very stark dis- distinction because so we, the American students were only from Michigan State University oh, okay, okay. and for the, for the grant, there was only four of us. Um, mm-hmm. those four of us, we were like, I will always have an amazing connection with those, those three. Anytime I see them, even if as different as our lives have gone, um, because we, were we had a different mindset we were going into it as like this project this two month thing but what happened was for the first month of the program they put us together with another study abroad from michigan state that was like also in Salvador, and so that group was much more, in my opinion, much more of like let's just spend money to do a study abroad and like travel and like go to this country, mm-hmm. um, whatever, whatever. Again, that's my opinion. May others may have their own opinions from the same situation, but it meant that the four of us, even though we we were like living in a different. Spot like everything we our money was came from like we got money we got money to be there they had to pay to be there um and so it was different but we were together so yeah and then that second month then it was just us four with the Brazilians
1: okay gotcha and and so then the when the switch happened the Brazilians mm-hmm. from from Salvador would go blow-
0: and through. so there were oh, eight yes. yeah four from Salvador four from Belém. Um, the funny thing, they didn't travel with us in between countries in Brazil, like the Salvador kids stayed in Salvador, Belém folks stayed in Belém when we were in Salvador, but then we, they all came up to Michigan State that following fall, that set August, to do the um, their fall semester in Michigan.
1: Gotcha, and that was the same semester you had to do in order to like complete the program. That yeah, was that- <laughs>
0: and I was literally taking one credit, <laughs> <That> one, <laughs> one, two credit class. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Especially having, having spent time in Brazil before, yeah. uh, were there certain things that you, you learned or took away from the experience in Salvador that were different? Um, because of the fact that there were so many um, people of African descent there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a, everyone, anyone who lives in Brazil could tell you, like the, cu- the culture of Salvador, culture of Bahia, the state, it is a culture of its own. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was like, I got to like be more into that culture. There's a whole different accent when they speak Portuguese. Um, we got to experience a condomble experience, which is condomble is the, um, the, like Afro diasporic religion that has like r- roots connected with um, in like Spanish it's like brujeria and you know all these like indigenous indigenous roots and black indigenous roots uh, religions. We got to experience that. I met some. I met some really awesome. I met this guy randomly. We were at a um, an independence like day parade in South in Pelorino, which Pelorino is the historic center. Historic Center for many reasons. One of it's a pop culture reason, but I live on pop culture first. But you know, Michael Jackson did record the video for They Don't Really Care About Us in this plaza. And Yes. And so there's that. But also, this was the place. Salvador was the place where they brought all the slaves, the first slaves to come to Brazil. Every slave went through Salvador. So in Palo this place where Michael Jackson filmed this video was also the place where the slave trade was there. There used to be the slave posts, like the whipping posts, the killing posts. So, yeah, yeah. So really, uh, that, you know, was that was an experience. And then, you know, Salvador, I love Salvador, but it's a it, I remember just being like, oh, it's a hectic city, but that's because, too, we, like, lived more in the, I mean, we had a great setup, but it was, like, the tourist area, and then, you know, like I said, the people that I was with made it really kind of miserable for me, like, really miserable, so I kind of left Salvador ready to go, because I, like, was ready to fight, like, I was ready to, oh, okay. fight. Like I ain't even fr- like, I, lo- yeah, I was, yeah, the Amityville came out that day, but, uh, <laughs> So, uh, but it was a beautiful city and I met some amazing people. And um, I met this one American guy who we, he was like me he was black, but he had lived and spent some time in Brazil. So we both spoke Portuguese, both queer, both he's like, he's an artist and I'm like, you know, more of like, am I an artist? But like, you know, I have, I have my way with art and creativity, but like we bonded on this like creative wavelength. Oh my gosh. And him and this group of girls from Spellman that were doing the study abroad there. If it wasn't for them, like I said, I would have like really fought people during that month there because Um, yeah, then I found them, and then I just made friends with them, and then they had some homegirls, like some black friends from like Brazil, so then I was like hanging out with them, and you know, having much more of that like local experience, much more of that black experience that um, I low-key, I've always just tried to find when I'm abroad.
1: Yeah, that's so good that you had that, and that you didn't actually have to fight someone.
0: (laughs) Yes, you know, again, the universe is looking out for me, you know, Uh, I'm and I'm a firm believer, a firm believer of that, so you know, they had put me through it so I could learn, but you know, brought me to right where I needed to be and not and I was able to know the with or have the ability and people around me to like know not to go over.
1: So
0: yeah.
1: yeah. And you were were y'all like in a like a door situation while you were staying So
0: Oh Salvador, we had Salvador, we had this beautiful apartment. Oh, it was so cute, right on the water, like across the street from yeah. the beach. It was cute, uh, that was cute. And then when we went to Belém though, Belém, woo girl. We were from that to Belém. we lived in a hostel for four weeks, three weeks. One week we did a, a family stay because we stayed in this other city about an hour and a half, like more in the, like I would say in the, the whole thing is the Amazon, but in a context for not knowing the Amazon, it's like, Less city because we were living in a city. Belém is a city. It has like millions of people. Like it's a city city. So we were like more of just in a small town in the Amazon for that week. But yeah, then we were in a hostel and that was girl living in a hostel for three weeks um, in the Amazon in the Amazon girl. Cha, you know that was amazing. But you know, I'd drink a lot of water. A lot of water. And I loved it. I mean, I love Belém. I truly adored living in in the Amazon. It was an experience of my lifetime, but it took a little bit of getting used to the heat.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Um, So that was your second time in Brazil. And then after that, what came after that?
0: After that, I graduated, I came back, and then I was like, All right, you know what? I, from the age I was 16 to the age I was 22, I was like traveling outside the country at least once every year, every other year. Yeah. And um, I was like, Okay, you know what? All right, I can give America a little bit of a shot. You know, let me try to like work a bit, learn something about this workforce, whatever that I complained so much about, <laughs> be about it so that I can complain about it even more with life experiences. But you know what?
1: Sorry, Scott. I had a question that I kept forgetting to ask. Uh, in Brazil, in high school?
0: Yeah, what about it?
1: You were there for a whole year. Yes. Uh, just in case someone might be wondering. That didn't, like, when you came back, you were still able to graduate on time, right? Graduating from high school.
0: I was, but I had to make it, I had to double, I had to to go over time in order to do so. So I had to, I was gone the year that everyone took their SATs. So when mm-hmm. I came back, I had to take, the, SATs and ACTs like basically in October and it was like you this is like really your only shot and then um, because in New York there were certain like New York things that I had to do like certain tests that I had to take um, that either before I left I had an English teacher who helped me oh my gosh she helped me learn a whole basically like junior year level of English in a couple afternoons after school so that I could take this exam a half a year early with like Mm -hmm. kids that were in my age. Um, Again, you know, not just her, I can recognize that I'm a very smart individual and have been, um, to have been able to do this. But yeah, I had to double up a lot. And I I had to take, like my senior year, I had no lunch period, like some days I didn't even have lunch period because I had to take so many Classes Like in New York, you're required to have four years of gym. So even though I hated gym, and even though I lived in Brazil, I had to take gym two, I had two periods of gym, um, like every day, I had to go to gym every single day, basically in high school because of that requirement. Um, And just random things like that. While still senior year, I worked a part-time job, 20, 25 hours, still played on the soccer team and the tennis team, like, yeah. But I, I graduated on time and still in the top 15 of my class.
1: Okay. Oh my so you had a little uh, extra work that you had to do when you came back, but mm-hmm. you were just able to graduate and everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry to be like jumping around. I meant to ask that and then oh, I kept writing, so, um Yeah. Did, did you know going in that you might have to play catch up when you came back?
0: Uh, A little bit. That's why I I knew around the English particularly, because that's why uh, I knew that's that's how I can't remember how who like recommended me, maybe my guidance counselor. But they were like, Sean, you're going to need to you're going to be messed up with with English if you don't um, if you don't do this early. And that teacher, she just liked me. I didn't even have her, but she liked me. So she really helped me out there. And then I thought I didn't, that was the only thing I knew everything else I learned when I got back. And it was like, they basically, the reason was like, yeah, we can't accept anything because you didn't do a full year. Like I, I basically got there during the ninth grade and and no, I got there during the 10th grade and ended in the like half of 11th grade. So they were like, you didn't do anything. Yeah. So then um, after all of that, then I, I was I was like really committed to um, working, so I kind of kind of had to start my career in the American sense. And I stayed in Michigan. I moved back to New York um, after like some a job and whatever. Then I found myself working for an organization that I was now leading. I was a social media director for this global campaign around climate change for people of all faiths around the world. So I got the job in December of. 2014 and i learned then that by the second week of january i was going to be going to scotland for this like weekend-long retreat of people of co-workers from hong kong india uh england the u.s to come together to like talk about a year like a year-long strategy to engage faith uh faith engagement around climate change leading up to the cop 21 Uh, climate change UN climate talks in Paris, which is most famously known for um, coming out of the Paris Agreement, which, you know, our current ass of a president, you know, like took us out of or whatever. But yeah, so then I was now traveling the world for work, which was like a whole new thing. So I was like, as in Scotland, then later that year, I was working, going to London quite a bit because my main coworker was over there. And then we did a um, we hosted an, a conference for a hundred youth all around the world in Rome that we put on. And then we did a march through Rome into the Vatican City, um, where like the Pope thanked like the or my organization like literally in the Sunday, like blessing. He was like, you know, thanks to you know, Green Faith and our other partners that we worked with in Italian. And I was like, good thing I speak Portuguese and in, in, in Spanish, all these other romance languages, I can actually understand it. Um, so yeah, I was like traveling the world, then by the end of that year, all this is all, all in one year, by the way, like all 2015, I was back and forth between Europe. And then at the end of the year, it ended with me living in Paris for two weeks. Again, living in a hostel, funny enough, but um, living in Paris for two weeks and also like, running, co-producing, co-hosting, and co-directing a podcast, a daily podcast, not just like, not not to say, but a daily podcast, what a big feat we did, um, all around these climate talks, talking to people who were in Paris for the climate talks, organizers, activists, former diplomats, um, faith, like, faith leaders, all on their takes around why it's so important to work on climate change, um, and just also, like, info about, like, the daily progress of, what a UN two-week conference actually goes on. So that was fun. But yeah, I was like living in Paris for two weeks, which was like, who would have, I, I never, never in my wildest, wildest dreams ever thought that I would find myself um, in Europe working, like getting paid to work. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. How did that, uh, with that dimension added to it, traveling for work, like how did that, how did that influence like your experience of traveling going from like being able to travel for leisure, traveling as a student to doing it for work?
0: Yeah. How
1: did that change your mindset as, as far as traveling goes?
0: I just, I love your questions. Like, dude, I, I love your questions. Um, um, people listen out like great hosts right here. Come on. Um, yeah. So I, by, by then, you know, I had, um, by then by traveling, my work, I had already started to kind of like accept that, I had my own form of black excellence, like me by then, you know, I'd been traveling the world for study abroad or whatever, but I had done a lot by then. And now to be doing it for work, I started to recognize like, okay, like not only am I grateful for this opportunity, especially as a gay black man, but like, you know, this is just me. This is part of who I am. This is what I've always wanted. So now I'm like, it's just actually starting to like come to fruition. So then that my attitude, my energy kind of was like, that was kind of my energy traveling then. It was like, yeah, this is, this is my norm. Like, yeah, it's my, my norm is that I'm like waking up at 7 a.m. to talk to people who are in Hong Kong. Like that's my norm. And that's what, like I would, every call, even if it was early and I'm not a morning person, I would like be so happy because, you know, I was basically in touch with another part of the world, hearing a story, hearing those stories and finding ways to help share those stories on a larger platform. So now I was able to really like, take what I had been doing, starting from when I got back from Brazil, which was sharing my stories about Brazil and about this world that was so different from where I had was raised, to now like sharing stories for other people and doing it on a platform that wasn't like a platform where there was more exposure, more opportunity. Um, so that was, you know, amazing. And then to like, to be in the part, being in Paris was like, I, I cried, girl. There was like, I when I got the first day I took the bus out to the actual like UN kind of, the, the UN center that they created for this. Mm-hmm. I just like saw the flags and I was like, try Cause I had done some work with the UN gratefully, actually had before that with another job in, but that was in New York. So I had that cool moment, but now I was like in Paris and the flags, I've always loved the flags. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm just like an exchange student, like for pay. Like this is like, <laughs> this is this is, I understood why much more of like why I think Rotarians made programs like the Rotary Foreign Exchange students, because the theory is it's like this lifelong investment. Like the goal is hopefully that these young folks will have this opportunity around the world and do something with it to like make the world a better place for all of us. Um, and so to be able to like stand in Paris, where at that time it was such, all eyes were on Paris, like all eyes were on Paris. Like the news like it was so cool to be part of something that like i was doing a podcast on that like people were reporting in the news here in the us not my podcast no but like (laughs) the the same topics or whatever and the people that i'm talking to um so yeah it was like it was just like wow this is um this this is amazing and there's some power here and i was just happy that i was there doing it because what i learned especially with doing that podcast is that it's much more stories are being able to be told more, but just because stories are being told it doesn't mean that like stories are accurately and fairly being like representative of all folks. And so again, I had some issues there around like advocating and standing up for black and brown folks. Um, you know, one of the most in particular moment was we did an episode titled black lives matter. And it was, you know, linking the relation between environmental justice and racial justice and how climate change and like, especially in America, black and brown folks are more intrinsically, um, more impacted by climate change. And it was like, uh, th- between the inner circle of people that were, um, that helped us produce it, you know, I, we got a lot of feedback. I particularly got a lot of feedback on it. And it was like, this is so interesting, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, and I was like, then, then, the, my, then the tears, I was waking up crying, but the, now they weren't tears for joy it was tears that like why do i need to go through all this pain like this it was hard like to be told that i'm too emotional or that i'm wrong for trying to like bring the voice of people who are not here like into this this atmosphere especially on a global presence like this was a podcast because we had global partners was being listened to all around the world where not everyone does know what black lives matter is um so that was really hard but and so then that's when i was like you know what by the end of the day I am here, and me doing this, like it's getting done. And yeah, it, I have had to gone through like the, the the journey or whatever. But at the end of the day, it means that this story is getting told, and that's what you know. I'm most one of the most things I'm most proud of is that episode in particular. Just um, the the people that we got to talk to, who I had to talk to, who you know, I was girl. We was like in these pair of streets, catching trains, catching everything as much as we can to find people. Um, and meet them where they were. I'm, you, I'm sure you understand. But yeah, that was um, that was an amazing experience to have.
1: And I was wondering when you were talking about like all the, the different types of people you had to interact with, um, especially in Paris, organizing so many things, having to do a podcast where you're talking to like really important people about really important uh, issues. I was just thinking like, oh man, that must t- take a lot of confidence to have to do all that. And I like that you mentioned that like, you kind of had to um, acknowledge your own excellence and acknowledge the role that you had to play in, in this this really important effort that you all were, you know, doing together. And sure, it was work, so it was like your job to do these things, but yeah. in the context that you were doing them, that's, that's so amazing to me. Like, I would Thank be you. so, like, freaking out having to do all the things that you Thank had you. to
0: do. It was, it was, um it was a lot, girl. And I, I didn't even mention, like, the, like, we did that podcast too, but right at the same time, like, the Paris happened, we, Paris meant the the, the end of this, like, campaign that I had, we'd been doing since, like, the beginning of the year. A campaign that, like, Twenty people walked from Rome to Paris for these talks. So I had been like leading the comms. Well, one of me and this guy we leading the comms. Me leading social, um, sharing their stories, and then eventually we walked the last leg with them, like the whole last day with them, which was like such an amazing opportunity to do it with. So I was like, yeah, I was like, what? And then I would feel like then I was like, I'm just like the silent ninja, like you know, I I've always said this in my career. I'm like in many ways. I am the one that I wanna just help your story get told. And so I will join you, but I'm not necessarily gonna be a part of it, even though like I have my own story, but sometimes it's not about me. I know that I've had to recognize that. And so, um, yeah, so that was like cool. But my first interview that I did for that podcast was with Archbishop Tabu Bakaba of South Africa. And when I tell you, I was like, I didn't realize how nervous I was gonna get until I was like in his hotel room. It was just me, like, just me. Like everyone, like my co-producer, my co-host, everyone. We sometimes get to do the interviews alone to be able to get it. And we're in Paris. And he's this is black minister, and we meet, and he's like all in his robes, mind you. My grandfather, my dad's side, was raised as a he was a reverend in the AME church, the black church here in the U.S. Um, and I have my own real issue, like not issues, but I've had my own journey with the r- religion and faith. So that now working with by this point Green Faith, I just loved all faiths and loved like to learn more about it. So I was talking to this man from South Africa. Obviously, you know, I lived in South Africa. So I'm like, kind of like geeking out that like, he has this accent that I remember. where I can talk about housing in certain language, like cues that I learned from there, but also about climate change and about like, yeah, just like the rooms that he's in. And like, you know, this man, he has a Wikipedia page. I was like, what? Um, so that was cool. And then like one of the person I interviewed was um, Bill McKibben, who he's like the founder of 350.org, which is like, it is a very big, very, one of the biggest, you know, green environmental groups here in the U.S. Um, and much more now, especially more recently, like very more, you know, grassroots and active, like they have a huge global campaign too. Like, so I talking to him. Um, I talked Yeb Sanyo, who is this, this man from the Philippines, who was a former diplomat, a former like UN diplomat, who left the climate talks to be an activist because his home country was, uh, destroyed by Typhoon Haiyan and like that's a direct result of climate change and to this day I'm so fortunate like Yeb yeah, is still a man who I like can call a friend like an amazing like confidant like an amazing like just warrior um in this world who's doing good work and he lives on the other side of the world and yeah I like Paris brought us together in so many ways for that so it was such an experience of a lifetime that I was like, wow, I'm I'm amongst greats, but I, I again it was like the first time where I was really like, you know what? But I think I think I'm a great too though.
1: Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow. And I think I think it's so interesting. So like you were it was like interfaith, but also climate change. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I don't hear those two things spoken together. Does the interfaith community seem to be more engaged or to care more about this issue than, like, the general population? Is there, like, an added perspective to it because it is, like, the religion aspect is involved? Like, what what is that environment like?
0: I, I mean, so I think for me, one thing, the thing that I, I learned and took away the most was that religion just is love. Like, you know, I think... You know, and I I think I know, unfortunately, you know, men, really just, you know, men, a lot of men in this over the decades, you know, long history, men have made religion not always so great. But um, I think the the basis is love. And through that love, it's about like love of both um, creation and love of, you know, fellow planet. And so whether it's through Hindu religion, where you know, that love of creation is a core element, um, but also it's just different because there's, you know, multiple gods. And so there are, you know, gods of water, the gods of, you know, what have you may be that allows for different perspectives um, to Christianity, where obviously, you know, to an American context, it's the most common um, where there is, you know, that the the talk of creation care, um, you know, in this earth that God created. Um, But also, you know, me as 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 an atheist, as an agnostic, it's about the respect that, you know, because interfaith, too, the difference between working between interfaith and just working in my, because I've worked in both interfaith environments and also just specifically Christian environments. Um, When it was Christian, it was Christian and LGBTQ equality. So there was, you know, that kind of niche, but very still very much Christian. And with interfaith, I really appreciate the interfaith community because um, there was just much more openness and dialogue for discussion. Um, It's where I, you know, have some of the amazing partners that we had were some of like Muslim partners around the world, Muslims in the UK, Muslims in South Africa, Um, and just yeah, the amazing conversations. And more than that, I mean, the re- the retreat that the co- convergence we had in Rome, like I said, it was a hundred young people from all around the country, all around the world, from more than just those main the, the main like five religions. Like it was, uh, and I always I pronounce it wrong, but. Zoroastrianism. oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but um just so many religions. um and yeah, the the ba- basic tenement is you know, taking care of this earth that we have because you know, it takes care of us,
1: yeah. I don't, it's almost like kind of what people imagine like this kind of like utopian vision of unity. you yeah. kind of had a glimpse of it in this particular in this particular environment that you were working in?
0: I truly have, and I mean, throughout my whole career, I have seen that. Like, I see see a world, like a better world that is possible, a world where all of us are able to live our whole selves. And, you know, I say where more of us unicorns are able to be in places of influence, and a world where more of us people of color and marginalized identities are able to, like, be, celebrate our achievements rather than overcoming our struggles and so you know yeah. with that world that I believe in um, yeah this this my career my from my my life as a student to now yeah my career I've been able to do it and what was really great when I was still with Green Faith and working around like all faiths was after we did the really successful one in Rome we tried to do it again but for Latin America and then I found myself Uh, Back in Brazil, out of all places, um, now being the only American in a group of about, like, 10 to 12 uh, main, like, organizers, the only American, the only, like, English first, like, English is my first language, um, but doing meetings in Portuguese and in Spanish with... like leaders from around South America to try to do the same thing, a convergence for um, young people of faith in Latin America, in South America. And that girl was a full circle moment because at the same time, while I was like, you know, so excited to be back again in this country that I love, but now like for work, you know what, I'm here for work. But also um, that same time when I was down there, I was in this magazine, Interview Magazine, the magazine that Andy Warhol created and they, you know, I, by this point in my life was chosen to like be featured as one of their like new activists. And so the day they sent me the proof that, and like that it was going to come out the next day I was in Brazil. So it was just like, my world, so, so much of my life has always been inspired by Brazil and so much is like centered around Brazil mm-hmm. um, that to have that moment to get this huge, huge level of recognition of of achievement, like not achievement, just recognition of of me um, while having my own milestone of like traveling in Brazil and being young, gifted and abroad. I was, I was just, I was bawling my eyes out, crying, crying, <laughs> crying, 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 crying. crying. <laughs> oh cry cry girl it was beautiful it was beautiful
1: yeah what a beautiful moment you were able to have like you said it was like full circle you know um with how how big a a part brazil has played in your life um would you say that out of all the travel experiences you've had that brazil is like your favorite or do you have like another one that sticks out in your mind that that you think really fondly of
0: it's just not fair for me because it's like brazil to me is my second country now like Right. actually, like, it's just, anyone who knows me now, like, it's just like, yep, yeah, for that's, you know, that is my other half. Like, these days, nowadays, when I meet, like, through my friends, like, here in New York, some people have told me, they're like, oh, I actually just thought you were Brazilian. Like, I didn't realize that you, like, weren't Brazilian. And I get that all the time, especially when I go back to Brazil, because I still speak Portuguese. And I was just down there in December, like, January, December of this past year, and uh, they're, like, Am I supposed to tell a Portuguese? But you see, Portuguese like, but what? You're are you are you Brazilian? I'm like, no, I'm American. But like, mm-hmm. all this, this. So, um, yeah, it's just that's who I am. Outside of that, South Africa, just because that huge experience was a huge place, um, to me. But now I'm, um, you know, I went to Asia last year for the first time. I went to Thailand, okay. and that was um, an amazing trip. Not just because I was the first time in Asia, um, but it was also the first trip that I had done with a friend. So for 12 years, all my trips had always gone by myself. Like mm-hmm. I would be put in these spaces with people that I was like forced to be in. And you heard how sometimes those ended, but <laughs> uh, it was never like me going on a friend uh, on a trip with a friend, sitting next to them in the seat, like all of that. So it was truly transformational to do that, to go to Thailand with my best friend um, last January, because I was like, oh my gosh. So now I'm like excited to, and I'm always excited to see more parts of the world, but I'm more excited to like see more parts of the world with people and not necessarily always be thinking about just going by myself.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I hear um, every, everyone has their preferred style of travel is yes, yes. going solo or going with people, how many different types of people, what's the... You know,
0: it's so true. And it's funny because I was just talking to a a good friend of mine here in New York who we our friendship is really based on the fact that we're like third culture kids that we've like spent much of our and a lot of my friendships that I have are with third culture kids. And like they're some of the strongest friendships that I have, even though we may talk to each other like very little. Um, But yeah, we were talking and joking because. (laughs) We just like, we've been traveling since we were so young in a way that it's like, we, we just, we joke about what is like funny to us. Like, which in this case, we were like joking. She was like, you know like I don't normally do all-inclusive like resorts and we were I was facetiming and I had made a face and she's like yeah girl I see your face I know and I was like (laughs) I don't know I was like but you know she's like but she's a mom now she just had a baby and she's like you know now you know I guess we could I guess I guess even I guess and I was like yeah I guess even we can have new experiences even though we've like (laughs) traveled from early age and it's like it's very much like you know our black excellence because you know not many black folk our age can like. I recognize me having these conversations isn't even like necessarily even a norm. So I just be happy to like reach to shatter those kind of narratives. Anyway, but yeah, it's funny now my conversations around travel. I'm like I'm such a a, a sky miles whore for Delta. Like don't even <laughs> I've like where it's like okay this is this is a nice life. I I travel a lot for work and I'm gonna. Make this work for me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, do you have any major takeaways or pieces of advice to offer to anyone who's looking to study abroad or simply to travel more? Like, what's the pieces of advice that come to your mind?
0: My some of the advice I would really have is really like is do a healthy balance of doing a little bit of research to know about the country where you're going to, the culture and the society, just like enough where you know how to say hello and enough where you can, you know the name of the currency that you are gonna be like dealing in. Um, And I would say, yeah. And like know the name of a language or something like that. Like know a little bit about the culture where you're going to, Mm -hmm. um, but also go with little to no expectations. Like that is truly, i mean if i would have went to brazil the first time with any expectations nothing of how my life has gone would have gone that way because Mm -hmm. um expectations you know in my opinion they could expect expectations of the the best way to lead you astray and lead you to like get your heart broken um Mm -hmm. because you never know what's going to happen when you get there you know like i i was robbed in south africa like i didn't share this but i was like completely robbed at like knife point um in south africa and uh but I didn't let that change my, my world. And I didn't let people who already had their own projections about South Africa before I even got to South Africa taint me. So like I got robbed on my own accord for my own dumb decisions, but it wasn't because South Africa is just like a super scary, dangerous place. Same with Brazil. Like I haven't been robbed in Brazil, um, but I've, I've had some, I've had some situations where luckily I know Portuguese so I've had to get myself out of where, right? Where, so it's like, yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit of a tangent, but it's just like, you know, be aware of what's going on. Um, Be aware, do a little bit of research, have no expectations and just, you know, have fun. Like have fun, like for yourself. Do as much as you possibly can. And if you are a black or brown person, you know, I would just say specifically to you, you you know, It may be lonely sometimes. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that it can be lonely sometimes depending on how you travel. But if you're doing a study abroad, you may be that one Black student um, in your group in it and that's okay, you, you're you amazing for that. Um, but just know that like you're not alone and even when you are in these places where you don't know anyone, you can't get to family, there are always people that look like you in this part of the world and don't let anyone ever, ever, ever tell you that there are not any black people in some part of the world because there is. And you know, you could, you could get yourself out of it, right? You know, obviously not every, you don't wanna put be too dangerous but yeah just know that you're not alone and that this world is here for you because we made the world honestly but
1: you know I'll end there. I'm sure that's gonna be very encouraging to people who hear that you know um yeah we might it might not seem like it but we really are everywhere so yeah
0: <laughs> seriously I got to Paris and I I like oh my gosh I the first time I got to Paris I was like what there's all of these black people here oh. And like, all speak what? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Or like just even like you know Colombia. Colombia. I haven't been to Colombia, but Colombia, Venezuela. There's a lot of black folk down there, you mm-hmm. know. And and the DR. Like it's you know we everywhere. We are truly everywhere. I mean, Asia. We're not. We we ain't so big in Asia. I mean, we out there. We, 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 that I will say. Yes. So if you go to Asia, you know, I would, the, the, funny, the gag is, you know, try to see how many celebrities you can be considered. Cause that's real. I even go front. It hasn't happened to me, but it has happened to so many of my peers that I have met around the world that they get mistaken for Beyonce, kept, like all these celebrities, <laughs> 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 but that's, you can have some fun with that. Try to get some money, you know, get that sh- money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, on financials? Well, girl, you know, budget is what I'll really say. Uh, what I did not say in this call is that um, <laughs> I have been stranded in, like, a couple countries, not once, but not twice, a couple times, couple times, couple times mm-hmm. uh, from, like, running out of money when I was, like, young and didn't have any, like, because, like I said, all my travels have always been, like, with scholarships. So, anyway, yeah, just kind of budget, just, like, pay attention to what you're doing in terms of how much you're spending. Um, And that's, I don't know how to give you any advice on budgets. Cause like for me until recently budgets, my budget had always just been writing on a piece of paper. How much money do I have? Okay. Subtract. I'm going to spend this on groceries. I'm going to spend this on like a trip. I'm going to spend this on that. How much do I have left over? Like, you know, even if it's just that, that's something it's better than just like, just keeping an envelope full of money, and you know, <laughs> looking and seeing, damn, how did I get so low? What did I spend my money on? Uh, try to just yeah, keep a budget and pay attention to what you're spending your money on, so that you can take advantage of every opportunity that you want to, um, and know what you can and what you cannot do because there's a lot of things. There's so much that you can do around the world so much, but you can't do everything. And I think that's one piece of advice that if someone would have told me would have been really great is that it's okay to not be able to do everything that is available to do because not everybody's a billionaire, you know? So that's one smart advice I would say.
1: Okay. Great. Great. Um, a couple more questions for you. Cool. Um, you've been to many places at this point, Is there um, anywhere else that you'd like to go or any places that you'd like to go back to?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I always wanna go back to Brazil. Uh, Oh, but you know what? I gotta stop talking about this, this is going public. So not um, always Brazil, but uh, other places. Um, Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I really wanna go, I wanna go back to South Africa, but as in terms of new places, I really wanna go to like, Morocco or Egypt, one of those two countries in particular. I have some, the the group of friends that I have here in New York, my really close friends, a lot of them come from um, Morocco or Egypt or just like countries over there in the Middle East. And so I've been really just like, have my own world always constantly like just expanded and like to the point where I've always wanted to go over there, but it's like, oh, I know people. You know, that's what I'm always like, where can I go where I know people, where I can like get the tips and go to. So those are two countries in particular. Um I like I said, I really want to go back over to um Asia. I was like, girl, just this just this morning, I do this so often. I just like randomly look up, hmm, how much what many miles do I need to like do this trip? I was like planning a random trip of like of you know New Zealand and Australia, a little bit of Australia, but you kinda Australia is like an easy access point to get over there Mm -hmm. in terms of the cheapest cheapness. And then like New Zealand and like I have a good like I know this guy in Fiji who's I've done work with him, climate work since since that campaign that I told you where people walked from Rome to Paris. So I've like, you know, I know some people over there that I would really wanna like love just to go see and explore and get a chance to be in um, the Philippines. I really wanna go to the Philippines. The Philippines, I say this, Philippines are like the black people of Asia because you know, <laughs> the, the, black, the black and the Latino people, and I mean, Colonization makes it so, you know. Philippines was colonized by Spain, so mm-hmm. even Tagalog is like it, it has similarities to Spanish and the culture, or whatever. But there, I've just met some amazing Filipino folks. Like, like I said, yep Sanyo, he's one of them. But all this, like, dope. People like change makers, change makers truly from the Philippines, where it's like, I need to get over there and like experience it. And you know, if you look at a lot of like the cool dancing v- videos on YouTube, a lot of them be like them Filipino groups, whether they're here in the US or over. And you know, girl, anyone that got dance and that got rhythm and can dance and can eat hot food, like, all right, I flex with y'all, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I I've said this to a Philip, like to some friends from the Philippines, I've what it was in Paris, I was like y'all are just, like, so cool. Like, I just love being with y'all. Like, at this time, too, I was, like, dealing with the white people that were, like, showing their selves. So I was like, really? Like, y'all like the black people? <laughs> <laughs> uh, with all the, the microaggressions that go along with it, too, though. Cause anyway. but Yeah, yeah. so, I, I mean, I just want to see the world. Like, I just, I was talking to this financial guy about my, like, you know, three-year plan. And I'm like, honestly, my three-year, and, you know, I want to work you know live and be based in new york for you know nine ten months of the year and then be traveling three to four months of it whether some of it just you know traveling for pleasure or you know for work but you know i want to just keep seeing more of the world yeah i always had a goal to see 30 countries by the time i was 30 and to speak five languages by that same time too but a little harder now but um so yeah so that's definitely still on my i have a a little bit less than a year left to to try to do that, so we'll see.
1: Okay. Well, I hope you get as close to that goal as possible, and um, those are very admirable goals to have. I had one more question, but I was just thinking of an additional one. Additional one that I wanted to ask you: uh, What is your like overall vision for uh, Watkins Art of Joy?
0: Watkins Agency of Joy. Yeah. I'm oh, what you're
1: looking to achieve. Yeah. Oh, that's so. Oh, great question.
0: Um, the at the end of the day, what I'm looking to achieve with the Watkins Agency of Joy is being a platform of light, of joy, and of transformational stories. Whether that's my own story, sharing more of my story and what I recognize is is unique in its own and deserves to be shared, um, or working with like my clients and different, you know, movement change makers um, to get their stories told. Um, Or even, you know, so some of the work that I do, so to give you an example, like the projects that I'm working on right now, one project I'm working with um, an organization called the Solutions Project, which actually by the time this airs, it will have already have happened. So I can write, this is, when is this airing?
1: Uh, May 7th, I think.
0: Yes. Okay. Right. Let me just, so by the time this airs, it will already have happened, but um, a project I'm working on with them is to celebrate, you know, community leaders um, doing great work out in LA. Um, who are doing work around climate energy, climate change, clean energy and environmental justice and folk- celebrating folks who often don't get celebrated. So, you know, I'm working on that kind of project. But at the same time, you know, another project I'm working on is next week. I'm uh, heading out to California to do a storytelling workshop um, with a bunch of like ambassadors for a, a big brand, uh, a big like public brand that I'm doing some work with uh, a company called the Million Person Project, um, that they're all about getting everyone to share their stories, to tell, be their own storyteller. Um And so I get to help folks tell their own stories too. So it's just like, but doing that, getting more people to be tapped into their agency of joy, especially for us black and brown folks, what I mean by that is, you know, like I said, just to come from a place of achievement and to come from a place of thriving instead of just surviving, even though I know what it's like to survive and I know how hard it is to survive. And so yeah, just I want it to be um, a symbol of light for this world um, in so many ways that um, I, that I never really saw represented when I was growing up or even now, like still to this day.
1: Yeah well, I think those are all very powerful things, very worthwhile things you to aim for, and I hope you're successful in, in everything that you're trying to do. I think it's, um, I just really admire the, the the vision that you have and the heart that you have to go along with it. And uh, I just hope it's everything that you're doing is successful.
0: Thank you so much, you know, I, I hope so too. And, you know, to everyone listening, you know, I can, you know, you can follow me at Agency of Joy. That's the, uh, you know, the businesses, Instagram, you can follow me like individually at Shawnee Boy. That's S-E-A-N-I-E-B-O-Y-Y, two y's, cause you know, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I, I want everyone to kind of, kind of be on this adventure and this journey with me. So um, definitely encourage others, you know, to kind of reach out and like share their own stories with me, cause that is literally what makes me smile is hearing yeah. stories of others.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that was actually my last question was how people can reach you or keep up with you. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, yeah. uh, Do
0: you want me to say it again?
1: No, no, no. All right. Well, yeah. So Shawnee Boy and then what was the other one? Artist yeah. agency, uh, of- uh,
0: agency of Joy uh, is the business Instagram. Yes. And then my Instagram is Shawnee Boy, S-E-A-N-I-E B-O-Y-Y. Okay. There's my Twitter too, which is just Shawnee Boy. The same thing but with a six at it, but like who uses Twitter that much these days? I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, you do. Like, I use it, but yeah. you know, in this age of social media, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my that's my work hat coming up.
1: Okay, wonderful. And uh, the podcast you mentioned that you worked on previously uh, when you were in Paris, what was is the name of that? In case people wanted to check that out.
0: Oh my gosh, it's it's called Climate Voices. I think it's still on, it may still be, I know it's on my, my iTunes, like podcast app, like I still can access it, but, um, I know the, you can access it through SoundCloud. So, um, yeah, if you like type in climate voices, podcast SoundCloud, um, you can check back all previous episodes there. Okay. What I'll also probably do too, is I'll probably share a link when you share this since it'll be like relevant.
1: (laughs) Okay, great, great. Wonderful. Well, I've had so much fun talking to you, Sean. This has been so great. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as well.
0: Thank you. I really have. And just like shout out to you, like everything on the success of your podcast. You are like, it's been such um, an amazing, like, like joy talking to you. You have like such great questions. And um, yeah, I really just appreciate you for what you're doing and what you're providing for the world. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. (laughs) That means a lot. Of course, this You know, you some Black excellence,
1: too. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. All right. Well, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thanks so much for spending your time with me. And uh, I will be in touch with you soon, leading up to the release and everything. So we'll definitely still be in touch. Okay?
0: Great. Thanks. And don't forget to smile,
1: everyone. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers <laughs> Alright. Bye Sean. Alright y'all, there it is. Thanks to Sean for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast, or Stitcher. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next week, um, (laughs) I haven't said that in a really long time. Uh, so for next week, uh, the guest is going to be um, someone who, like me, has her own podcast. But it's also really interesting because she uh, is a counselor for a traveling high school. Um, so her job is basically to travel the world uh, with the kiddos and help them through high school. So that's pretty interesting. And she also, like... Aaliyah from episode 35 and Gina from episode 36 would like to at some point start an initiative to help more students of color go abroad. So you get to hear all about her background, um, how she got into her line of work, and how exactly a traveling high school functions next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.